Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? I have an army. We have a Hulk. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships. Because they knew death was better than bondage. You make a sacrifice play. You're a laboratory experiment, Rogers. I put a bullet in my mouth and the other guy spit it out. The only thing living in this world will be metal. Nobody spills the secrets because nobody knows them. The city is flying. We're fighting an army of robots. And I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all! Oh, I'll get that out. Wow, this is awesome. Captain America. I know you too. You're great. The Under Channel. The Under Channel. Doctor Strange. Oh, you used to made up names. Um, I'm Spider-Man then. The Under Channel. You become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. Welcome, true believers, to the Under Channel versus the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is Robert Under at my side, turning knobs, the man in the drops, Aaron. Piss off, ghost. And our resident, Doug. Steve. You're a scientist. Use one of your PhDs. Today we're <laughs> going to be talking Thor Ragnarok, released on November 3rd, 2017, and directed by Taika Watiti. Thor Ragnarok was the 17th film to be released and is the 19th chronologically. The predicted end of Asgard has begun, but Thor is lost on an alien world after the arrival of his previously unknown sister, the Goddess of Death. These movies have been talked to death, so we're not going to go too Sounds deep, hot. but here's a couple points I'd like to discuss. I'm just going to lay it out on the line. This is when humor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe jumped the shark. Oh, At some points. Other points, it's still really good and well represented. It but is. I, I know what you mean. Like, they found a way to make their movies hits because of Guardians of the Galaxy and bring that humor to light, and they pushed it into this movie for sure. Now, I don't want to really go too far into it because I just accepted it at this point. It's a movie about a god of thunder who flies around on an alien planet. I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about some stupid jokes <laughs> but I just thought that it was so funny that I was reading this interview with the director and they talked to him about well you're such a talented writer this is from Collider you're obviously such a talented writer and Marvel has writers on the script you are collaborating with are you involved with the screenplay <laughs> this is his answer well at this stage a little bit I'm not sure I think the most use I'll be is in terms of sense of humor <laughs> trying to find funnier ways to do stuff that'll be my strength They've got structure and stuff, but I'll be useful at putting jokes in there. Do you guys know what he is known for? What movies he's made? I'm familiar. I, give, give me a couple. So he is the guy behind Flight of the Concords. That's the the music group. Evil Eagle versus Shark. Yes. Uh, what we do in shadows. So That's all a new of TV show. Well, it was based on a movie from a couple years back. Oh, but really? same guys, Flight of the Concord guys. So he is actually I'm um, really a more of a comedic director hmm. in general. And did you guys see what he's recently signed on to be the director of? Big Trouble in Little China remake? The Mandalorian. Ooh. That scares me a little bit because <laughs> if they're going to be doing a TV show and they're going to let this guy's humor be over, I think a lot of fans might be disappointed. You want what you want, dark? Well, I, I always thought that is The Mandalorian what they're using since they're I don't think they're doing a Boba Fett show anymore, right? Yeah. Didn't well, that turn into The Mandalorian in a way? Kind of. So I don't think anyone thought that the guy who made Thor Ragnarok and had Thor jokingly spinning around slow, hanging from a ceiling in chains, was going to be the one in charge of a bounty hunter TV show. For hold on, hold on, hold on. 
coming back around to you. We were all in agreement that the Captain America trilogy was far superior to the Iron Man trilogy. But where do you guys rank the Thor trilogy as opposed to those two? Thor trilogy is the worst of the three. Oh, yeah. It's at the bottom of the pile. Um, Thor 1 was a nice introduction, but it, they steered to the wrong direction of who's the bad guy because it was Loki playing tricks behind the scenes, behind the curtain like the Wizard of Oz, and you had the Destroyer come out, and the Destroyer was supposed to be your thing, and the Destroyer basically was a tin can that didn't matter. feels weird to say that the first movie about Thor is the least important movie. It just takes place in some of the middle of some random town in <laughs> yeah. Nevada. Pacwa, which, even if it was blown up, it wouldn't have... <laughs> taken care of it. yeah nothing thor 2 thor it 2 had a... potential <laughs> thor 2 says a boring ass it, w- movie. it was a world expander why do you think it was so boring steve can you remember what the villain's name is malekith malekith that's a pretty cool name they underdeveloped him at for yeah, sure big that time was one under issues. i mean that's one of the main problems the humans storyline is just worthless altogether like, it does not need to be in a movie altogether yeah and they damseled in distressed. Mm-hmm. These movies, they don't really damsel in distress very often, but they damseled in distress with Jane. Isn't it strange that character as beloved as Thor really has a series of unlikable movies as his yeah. trilogy? Where is it in Thor's filmography are the parts that we love? Is it just Avengers movies? Or is he just a standout in everything he's in and just unfortunately he hasn't had that cast or that film around him i think it was not into thor ragnarok because even in avengers 1 and 2 you felt he was kind of underdeveloped at least i thought it was like in avengers 1 he's just the god of all that everyone's just like oh there's gods and all that type of stuff and in thor 2 he has that weird subplot where he's learning about the infinity stones exactly yeah he, he kind of made people more aware of there's things beyond earth in the first avengers and in the second avengers he started to rise in importance, but only because he had the knowledge of the outside mm. galaxy. And I guess of the heroes that are in the universe, he is the most ready-made complete when we started this story. He was still Thor. Obviously, now he's the king, as opposed to... Um, or He had m- less character growth than any of the others. Yeah, know, it's also, not like he has an eye he, patch now. Yeah, yes, he, that and he one. needed to be humbled. Yeah, basically all it was. His dad had to, you know, help him learn, basically. Yeah, the responsibility of being a god and being treated that way and having those powers means you have to be the one to keep balancing the He had to be the Uncle Ben. Great power, <laughs> great responsibility. Again, we start off with Thor. He had been out looking for the Infinity Stones, and he is in the domain of Surtur. Just in the basis of it, Surtur makes the exclamation that Ragnarok has begun. Just by you being here, just by you arriving here, Ragnarok has begun. Doesn't matter if you defeat me now, this is going to take place. Thor realizes all he has to do is rip the crown off his head, slings it over his back, and heads on back to Asgard. It's a pretty cool shield. He should have turned it into a shield. Oh, that would have been crazy. (laughs) When he gets back to Asgard, things are not as he left them. And this is the first time that Thor realizes that Loki is disguised as Odin and is making the death of Loki a lot grander than it actually was. He has bewitched all of Asgard with his trickery once again. They let Thor figure out that it wasn't actually Odin so quickly. 
You know, they could have gone a couple scenes with Loki as Odin, bringing it out, but it was almost like as soon as he showed up, Thor knew something was wrong. As that play played out, he That's was, true. He was yeah. like, uh, hmm, this is a little heavy-handed here on the uh, Loki side of things. We do find out that Loki left Odin in a retirement home back on Earth, which they end up going to find him, and Odin basically is like, hey, it's all right, I'm dying anyway. Yep, but force is going away. the information he gives to his two sons uh, while he's standing at that cliff awaiting death is that there is another Odin's son? What is their last name? Odin's daughter. Is that is that what it would be? <laughs> there is so. another Odin's child. Her name is Hela, and she was Odin's firstborn, and she acted as his executioner. She was a badass. She was a badass. As much as she also reminded me of Rita Repulsa with the way uh, her... Her crown? Her crown thing. I would not be insulting her the same way I was insulting. No, she comes on screen and she's a threat the entire time. I question her choice of sidekick because uh, Scourge is like one of the worst characters in all of the MCU. <laughs> the scene where Thor shows up at Asgard and he's supposed to make the announcement, Thor flies away and Scourge has to just run. I think they, they That was the, awesome. Yeah, and I think they do a good job of showing you that Scourge is not to be taken seriously when they come through the portal and it's just dragging guts all over them. That was awesome. <laughs> that was that was I loved the way they ended that battle scene with that dragon. We didn't even talk about that dragon, but he's not worthy of holding up the hammer. We'll just put it that way. We finally got to see the veil of Odin pulled away when Hela shows up, tears down that ceiling. Really cool line where she kind of says, "Hey, I was you." Before he became a benevolent king. Yeah. You know, back when we needed to kick some ass, I'm at his side. Exactly. What did you guys think of when she said, after we conquered nine realms, Odin thought that was enough? Because up until this point, I had always just assumed the nine realms were all of the realms. Like, I thought the nine realms were us, them, the quantum realm, the macro realm, but... It made Odin's accomplishment, his life goal of conquering those nine realms, it made it seem like so much less to me when she was just like, ah, he just wanted to stop after nine. Well, your nine realms are Jotunheim, Asgard, Midgard, Alvoverot. I can't even yeah. think. There are a lot of them end in Heim. <laughs> I, I think it just showed me that I've always thought of Odin as like one of the you know most powerful people in the galaxy. And if you think about scope... He's kind of like the biggest fish in our small pond. What I wonder about it is in that mural, you see Odin's father, King Bor, or whatever you want to say. He's in that mural too. So I wonder if like he died and it changed the way Odin was mm. as a king. I don't know. That's one of the thoughts I had watching the movie. I've seen this movie multiple times, so I look for more details in it as I watch it. After the battle with Hela, Thor and Loki are both fall out of a dimensional portal, and they land up on the planet of Sakaar. And this is where we get introduced to the Grandmaster, played by none other than Jeff Goldblum. I like Jeff Goldblum, but this character really tested my patience. He was perfect at it. I knew you would enjoy it too. Oh but... no, this is Jeff Goldblum's finest work. Oh, it was great. He talked about Rob. He may have been too androgynous for me. <laughs> he was a little bit too, like, loosey-goosey. He's a he, right? Do you guys know 
Do you guys know anything about this character, the Grandmaster? Yeah, he is Benicio del Toro's brother. Yeah. The collector. Yeah. And they are both um, elders of the galaxy, of the universe, whatever you want to say. I found that out afterwards when I was doing some research mm. that those two characters were linked. And as soon as that happened, it clicked into place for me and made him a little bit more palatable. Because I think Benicio del Toro, the collector, is so badass. I think the Grandmaster is kind of a... <laughs> a little bit, little bit light in the loafers. He's a partier, man. He likes, uh, he likes all of what life is, and he enjoys the thrills and the chills, no matter which way they come. Yeah, my only real disappointment with the entire Sakar scene, and we'll talk about Valkyrie and the Hulk and the Revengers in just a moment. But I was really disappointed that the Thor Arena was only one battle. I wanted to see some progression. I guess it makes sense for the timeline because. If you go through Planet Hulk, Thor is the final battle in that. Yeah. So it wouldn't make sense for them to both be fighting in the arena at the same time and not running into each other. It would ruin the surprise. True. You mean like a, a free-for-all battle of, of, of Royale? Well, I was thinking, you know, the Hulk is the grand champion. Thor would come in as like an undercard. And have to fight Have to win a to couple, him. but that very first day there was a fight and he saw the Hulk, it would blow the surprise. Well, that and he's completely going to devastate anybody he goes against. Yeah, absolutely. So, wouldn't have been a wouldn't have been a fight. I know. I I agree with that. Well, and I'd have been mad if he had to fight Korg. Yeah, that wouldn't have been good. That because I mean he already annihilated the giant version of Korg. <laughs> let alone the Revengers. We are introduced to Tracker One Forty Seven. One Four Two. One Four Two. Thank you. Who throws this little device on Thor's neck and basically brings him to the Grandmaster and is the one who sells him and later revealed to be a Asgardian, uh, one of the Valkyries, and then. They slotted in the perfect star to play a supporting role in this film. The Hulk makes sense on an alien realm more than anyone else. Like, it couldn't have had Iron Man there. Captain America, I mean, he's going to be talking about life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. It's going to be confusing everybody. But the Hulk is so alien on Earth that his presence in other alien realms almost feels familiar to you. He's great in this part, too, just being just the Hulk. And there is no banner. Just like he says, no banner, only Hulk. You get to see a Hulk mind at work in this particular role. That was so strange. There was never really an explanation for why he just stayed the Hulk for two years. Like throughout that entire two years, he never calmed down once. Constant stress. And plus also the Hulk took over at that point. That was what he said. He said, my body is basically the Hulk is driving and he locked me in the trunk and and he was in control. So the Hulk stayed in control because the Hulk is the champ. The Hulk is number one. When the Hulk takes over that way, you learn that the Hulk is all ego driven and feeding himself upon his own achievements. I mean, he was the king of Sakaar, this gigantic garbage dump pile of a place, but people loved him. Exactly. And nothing peels up ego like that. And such a great Hulk connection to Age of Ultron to have that Black Widow message play again. Yeah. Like, as soon as they turn that jet on, and that brings him out of it, and then you get to see the play between Valkyrie and her not knowing that Banner is the Hulk the whole time. She's like, who's this skinny human that we're running so around familiar, with? familiar, though. Yeah, they said that a little too many times yeah. that they, they knew each other. That was strange. I don't know why they kept pushing that. They just really want to find a uh, companion for the Hulk. What did you think about them trying to find a companion for Thor in the Valkyrie? Did you feel like they tried to push an angle of romance? A little bit. Yeah, I didn't see... I felt it at the end of the movie. Oh, really? I I still 
didn't see like a romantic angle. I I, I just definitely portray the fact that Thor and Jane are no longer a thing. Mm-hmm. Oh no, that's gone forever. Yeah, they definitely say that in the movie. It was a mutual. I assume Valkyries are like Amazons, where they are like a warrior. That's their life that's is their being life. a warrior. Like there's no Valkyries who are also married. Married and, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just a whole different role. I just think that. It was more so just their Asgardian, so maybe they just had a little more. And obviously, that's her king. Mm-hmm. She was her whole life was spent protecting him. I'm assuming when he was a child, even though their ages don't really She's, line no, up. No, she. Anyway. Yeah, no. Valkyrie, her being and her everything was back when Hela was Hela. Right. And then Odin decided that's it. I can't handle you anymore. I'm putting you. I'm banishing you. And he sent the Valkyries after her. So Thor may not have been thought of it. You know, I didn't even think about that. She's older than Thor. Way older. Technically, but obviously doesn't look that way. Like generations older. Thousands of years probably. After Thor and the Revengers, the team he puts together, are able to get off of Sakaar, they end up back in Asgard. And that's when you find out that there's no way they're going to beat Hela in hand-to-hand combat. There wasn't even really a time that they had close to an upper hand no, in the never. fight with her. At any point. Yeah, she just is on screen dominating everybody. She takes, as soon as she gets to Asgard, you can see her power level just continue to exponentially grow. She, as soon as she's there at the Bifrost, she just kills the two warriors, Volstag and Blondie Boy. Yeah, they were gone instantly. Yeah, just dead right away. And then she goes down into the square to see all the other soldiers and she takes out um, I'm forgetting the guy's name now but the Asian gentleman yep. kills him I mean at least he puts up a little bit of a fight but he doesn't stand a chance against her the entire Asgardian army destroyed, destroyed flying ships and all and she's she's basically doing it while dancing yeah she's dancing and throwing all these crazy ass swords and shit all over the place nobody stood a chance against her she just mowed everybody down. Then some words from Odin earlier in the movie remind Thor, Asgard is not a place. Asgard is a people. As long as we are Asgardians, we're going to be okay. Don't put the homeland over the people of that home. Gives that information to Loki, and Loki goes ahead and drops Surtur's mask into the eternal fire, uh, bringing back the fire demon to finally accomplish his one goal, which is to cause Ragnarok, cause the end of Asgard. I feel like Surtur is much more of a badass than him. The movie turned him into a joke. Agreed. I don't feel like he should have been a joke. No, his power, the way his power is portrayed from the first scene to the last scene, yeah. doesn't even seem like it would be the same character. Because mm-hmm. he's joking around, gets beat without question by Thor easily. But then Hela, he just kills her with like one sword slash. I don't know. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. They didn't, for a character of that scope, he really looks like he's fucking Dormammu yeah. of fire. He wasn't that much of a threat. Finally, once all of the Asgardians are off onto their spaceship, we get to see one-eyed pirate Captain Thor, which... <laughs> I don't know if this was just a character design they used from the movie or if this actually has some basis in the comics. Him having one eye. Him having one eye, but I didn't really understand. I I know his dad lost an eye, but I didn't understand. I I don't know why they have to push the... Like father, like son, I guess. 
Hela did some damage to him. You know, that's one thing too, like, you watch Thor get his face smashed by Hulk in the arena and he's punching the daylights out of him, doesn't leave a scratch. Mm. But then he fights Hela and Hela puts his eye out. Nobody stood a chance against Hela. Well, going with that, her wolf is when it fights Hulk in the water, it bites him, bites him breaks his skin. Breaks his skin, yeah. That was pretty interesting. That was a good fight. Him versus, and I love how he, he jumps out of the jet and he's like, you're going to find out how you know me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he just... He just, he just flops it. He's I, like, for a second, he's like, oh, he's dead. Yeah. He's literally dead. <laughs> Banner killed himself. To close out the first part of the show, we've decided to feature a single piece of dialogue that we felt best captured the essence of the film. Allow me to paint you a picture. We begin our film with Thor chained up in the lair of Surtur, where he is told that the fall of Asgard is inevitable. <laughs> Thor, son of Odin. Surtur, son of a bitch, you're still alive. I thought my father killed you like half a million years ago. I cannot die. Not until I fulfill my destiny and lay waste to your home. You know, it's funny you should mention that, because I've been having these terrible dreams of late. Asgard up in flames, falling to ruins, and you, Surtur, are at the center of all of them. Then you have seen Ragnarok, the fall of Asgard, the great prophecy... Now, hang on. Hang on. I'll be back around shortly. Do I really feel like we were connecting there? Yeah. Okay, so, Ragnarok, tell me about that. Walk me through it. My time has come. When my crown is reunited with the eternal flame, I shall be restored to my full might. I will tower over the mountains and bury my sword deep in Asgard. Oh, hang on. Give it a second. I swear, I'm not even moving. It's just doing this on its own. Uh, I'm really sorry. Okay, so, let me get this straight. You're going to put your crown into the eternal flame, and then you'll suddenly grow as big as a house? A mountain! The eternal flame that Odin keeps locked away on Asgard. Odin is not on Asgard. And your absence has left the throne defenseless. Okay, so where is it, this crown? This is my crown. The source of my power! Oh, that's a crown. I thought it was a big eyebrow. It's a crown. Anyway, it sounds like all I have to do to stop Ragnarok is rip that thing off your head. <laughs> but Ragnarok has already begun. You cannot stop it. If you enjoy what you've heard so far, our website is theunderchannel.com. More episodes are available on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher, and you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Over 21 movies in 11 years, the minds behind the Marvel Cinematic Universe have worked to craft one of the deepest interconnected film series of all time. It's time for Aaron to tell us just how Thor Ragnarok ties into the overall storyline by serving up some connective tissue. It's like a freaky circle. So, Korg, who has become one of my favorite characters in the MCU at this point. He was great in this movie. He is a Cronin, and we've seen several instances of Cronins throughout the movies now. I believe our first Cronin encounter was in Thor 2, Dark World, when he put a hammer through its head and just demolished them. And then we see one in the Guardians of the Galaxy when they are space jumping and they happen to come across the home world of the Cronins and they're fighting. But Korg is one of the best comic reliefs in this movie, where if you feel like the comedy is 
too much and too cheese, I guess. I think Korg does a good job of having, like, common sense dry comedy that works. He's like the Woody Allen of this movie. Yeah, he, he's, he's phenomenal. Bunch of guys, we're going to take this uh, ship and uh, get out of here. You want to come? I'm kind of the leader. Kind of the leader. <laughs> we had a revolution. Uh, I handed out some pamphlets. Didn't really work out for me. Well, it's just my mom and her boyfriend. I hate him. <laughs> just so good. Such a great character. The tower, when they arrive on Sakaar, many people have noticed a lot of things that were on this tower. A lot of different characters in Marvel Comics. We'll see if any of them really come true to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's one at the top, which is the Hulk being constructed. That's pretty easy to see. He's the Grandmaster's greatest champion he's ever had, so of course he's at the top. The rest of these characters, I'll kind of go through and see if we got anything with them. But Beta Ray Bill mm. is one of the characters off to the left side. He is supposed to be one of the purest and most noble characters and is a legend in Thor stories. So we'll have to wait and see if we get to get any instances that a character such as Beta Ray Bill will make an appearance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I feel like that's not going to happen. I feel like that's too big of a world for these types of movies to really bring somebody like that in. Yeah, I, probably not a long term, but I would just because how much fans want to see him. True. Even if it's just a end credits yeah. nudge. But he's he's a character that can also lift up the hammer. Yeah, he's a horse-looking version of Thor. Yeah, in most respects, yeah. Uh, the next one is Man-Thing, who's kind of like a swamp animal or being. I don't know what you would say. I guess he, I guess he is a humanoid of types. His existence is also somewhat alluded to in Iron Man 3 because his wife, Ellen Brandt, um, who we talked about in, I believe, when we were talking about Doctor Strange, she was an extremist soldier, and she was killed the girl that Tony blows up, but she happens to be Man-Thing's wife, hmm. in the comics at least. It at least alludes the existence of this character. What capacity does Man-Thing play in the MCU and things beyond those lines? I really don't know. But it is interesting to, to see how they kind of plant some things. I just questioned, is it safe to assume that none of those champions got away? Yeah, that's the other thing, too. Are these guys dead? Uh, did, right. the, did the Hulk kill them? Yeah. But then the Grandmaster does say, if you beat my champion, you earn your freedom. Right. So some of these guys may have killed another and gotten away. Mm. Who knows? By Beast is one of the characters you see on the thing. There's not much to say, except for he's a guy that has two heads or two faces on the same head. Ares, the god of war. If he exists within that type of mythology... Another famous comic book character should probably exist too, and that is Hercules. It'd be interesting to see if Hercules exists in the MCU. Fing Fang Foom is also another character that is on the tower. He's at the bottom. He is the dragon. He was alluded to in the first Iron Man on a movie poster, and also I feel like he was honored in Iron Man 3 when Eldrick Killian breathes fire. Uh, I think, Rob, you pointed out that he had the dragon tattoos on him at the time too, so... Another character, Darkcrawler, was on there. Uh, not really sure anything about Darkcrawler, but that was another one that many fans have spotted out. Also, the addition of Doctor Strange to the Thor Ragnarok movie in the beginning. It includes Valkyrie and the Hulk. It can't be an accident because all three of them were also founding members of a group called The Defenders in the comic books. 
not like the Defenders you have on Netflix right now. Just a different version. A much better version, probably. <laughs> oh, you never heard of the Defenders? You gotta tell me about the Defenders. <laughs> we talked earlier about the play and how Thor kind of took a little too long to see through it. It was an interesting one because there's a lot of cameos in that scene. Matt Damon is Loki. Matt Damon also played Loki in Kevin Smith's Dogma. He also plays Redneck Number 1 in Deadpool 2. Sam Neill, Dr. Grant of Jurassic Park fame, is Odin. And Chris's older brother, Luke Hemsworth, is the one who plays Thor. And we also know that Liam Hemsworth almost was cast as Thor. Let's go back to that scene where Doctor Strange is talking to Thor. And Loki is there and Doctor Strange is telling him, you know, he's a threat to this earth. I don't want him around. Loki kind of takes offense to him because he's been toying with him. And Loki is thought of as like a sorcerer of types. And he pulls out his knives and he wants to, you know, basically say, you think yourself a sorcerer? Basically goes to threaten him and then obviously Doctor Strange slip rings him out of there. It was a pretty cool scene. But my thing is, how do you think Loki would stack up sorcery wise to Doctor Strange or others like him that are trained in the mystic arts. I don't think it would even be a challenge. Um, I think Doctor Strange is too smart to be manipulated. I think his mind is too powerful for Loki to play any tricks on him. As far as I can tell, Loki's the majority of his spells aren't really offensive based, they're more or deception. Exactly. So he'd be like, sleep, and Doctor Strange would just like bend him in half with his mind <laughs> the Sakarans, obviously we're on the planet of Sakar. the soldiers that are there it's not the first time we've seen them we saw them in uh, the first guardians of the galaxy movie the uh, highly decorated like badass looking stormtroopers right they, all those guys they were no they, they looked like they were all black okay because at one point they he's surrounded like by a whole bunch of yeah. like armored I guess Boba they were Fetz. all armored and everything, but they all had like black faces, mm. black armor. They looked, they honestly, to me, I was like, are they fighting the putties from the Mighty yeah. Morphin <laughs> yeah, Power Rangers? We are talking about that. They look like putties meets the. That was sim- they're similar looking. The yeah. robots from Mortal Kombat, like Noob Cybot and yeah. all those meet putties from Power Rangers. Yep. Talked earlier, the Grandmaster is the brother of the Collector, and they are elders of the universe. Um, so it is neat to see that they're acknowledging those two exist within the same universe as each other. I'm pretty excited to see if they do anything with them, if they pair them up, if they go any further with those characters, how do they affect each other, what is the relationship that they have. If Jeff Goldblum's character is the Grand Master and he holds tournaments of all these beings, does Benicio Del Toro's character collect them for him? And does he like sell them to him sometimes? Like, hey, I got this guy for you. Or like, thing. Fucking, like a Christmas gift? Yeah. Like for a Christmas, he gives him like Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> yeah. It'd be pretty interesting. We'll see how far that goes. This is not the first time Jeff Goldblum has shown up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Jeff Goldblum is at the end of the very first Avengers movie. You do not see him, but you hear his voice. He is an anchor talking about the news of the Avengers and the things that were going on. He's also seen dancing in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 end credits. He's in one of the little bubbles. You get a little Jeff Goldblum sprinkled out throughout everything. We love Jeff Goldblum. It's not the love about that quirky guy. He's the best. Exactly. 
And there's a little connection within the movie of itself because Jeff Goldblum and Sam Neill were both in Jurassic Park together. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and Chris Pratt was in Jurassic World, and he's Star-Lord, so he's got to be only a few galaxies away. Mind blown. We just went three-dimensional. Odin gets dropped off by his son, Loki, at a retirement home. The name of their retirement home is Shady Acres. It is a running Hollywood joke, Shady Acres. If you watch the movie Ace Ventura, that is the name of the mental institution that Ace Ventura goes into. Apparently it was influenced by the director of that movie, Tom Tom Shadiak. And from then on, other movies have used Shady Acres as a type of place like that as well. Neat thing, Hella, when she's walking through the vault of Asgard, she basically thinks everything that is in that treasure room is a piece of crap. She knows that the Infinity Gauntlet is a fake, but when she recognizes the Tesseract, she's actually pretty impressed by that. My thought is, does she know what the Tesseract actually is? Does she know what's inside of the Tesseract? Because this is the first time we've seen the Tesseract since the Avengers movie. It's finally made an appearance again. And it does, later on at the end, get grabbed by Loki. Let's see, Valkyrie was another character that was great in this. She got drunk a lot. She enjoyed being what she was, somebody that found people to fight for the Grandmaster. One of the funny gags was bringing the bilge snipe to life. Well, I shouldn't say life because it was dead on the planet Sakaar, but you get to see the bilge snipe. When she falls off of her ship and she goes to get back up, she puts her hand on one, and because it's rotting carcass, her hands just kind of sink into its disgusting flesh. That was kind of neat. And it has been confirmed that that was a bilge snipe, whatever you want to say. <laughs> I did like when Thor was fighting the Hulk and he tried to use that little poem or whatever it is that the Black Widow uses on him where he's <laughs> saying the sun's getting mm-hmm. low and stuff it was a great thing and uh, the Hulk just played around with it played along and then he gr- eventually grabbed him and beat the hell out of him just like Loki got the hell beat out of him in the first adventure and Loki's like yes that's how that felt <laughs> Let's see here oh, Sakaar Another connection to the Guardians of the Galaxy, when they are going to leave Sakaar and go to Asgard, they were saying that they could refuel on Xandar along the way. Xandar is the home of Novacor. Also, another throwback to the Avengers, when we find out about the Quinjet being on Sakaar that the Hulk took there, nobody can drive it or get access to its systems unless they know their passwords. And... Thor's password is Point Break, which is one of the code names or nicknames that Tony Stark gave to him. Just remember, who's the strongest Avenger? Oh, it's Bruce Banner, the Hulk. Uh, no, I thought it was David Banner. David, 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 David. You've been listening to that, I'm sure. No, I haven't. I just know it now because of our chats here. Suicide Doors, Suicide Doors. And you sent it to me, so I had to listen to it that one day. That's not even the best song on there. Yeah, it's probably the worst song out there like just all the rest of them (laughs) so let's just kick into the end credits now so the lamest end credit i guess was at the very end where the grandmaster comes out it was funny because it's it's jeff goldblum playing his character and he's basically saying oh uh, congratulations to all of you on your uh revolution Um, you know uh, let's just call it a tie Mm. because he's still the grandmaster he's still gonna rule but the biggest thing was that you see thor and loki Kind of having a moment together. 
kind of discussing the future, what's going to happen next. And Thor's kind of like, you know, I think everything's going to be okay. And then the dark shadow of another gigantic spaceship in space looms over them. And we'll find out later on that that spaceship belongs to Thanos. When Marvel launched the MCU, they redefined canon for every one of their characters. This version is now the public perception of Thor. John Q. Public won't be referring to the quarter bins when defending their favorite superhero's badassery. They'll be talking about these movies. But that doesn't mean the stories being told are original, so let's check out where the studios found their inspiration. The Mighty Thor Volume 2, numbers 80 through 85, from 2004. A six-part storyline following the lead-up to Ragnarok, a cyclical refreshing of Asgard which takes place every 1,000 years. Planet Hulk, from 2006 and 2007. This is a major Hulk storyline from issues number 92 to 105 of the second volume, which follows the Hulk after being tricked into space by Nick Fury to destroy a satellite capable of detonating all nuclear weapons on Earth, and then ending up as a gladiator on a planet run by the Red King. What would you guys have thought if the Hulk's disappearance had been through deception and not his own decision? Nick Fury or S.H.I.E.L.D. was responsible for removing the Hulk from Earth. I think they made the right decision in the end. I would have been like, oh, poor guy. You don't have to come back to Earth. We don't deserve you. And also, if they did trick him, when the Hulk came back, there would have been hell to pay. I think that's why it would make sense that the Hulk is angry for two years, is because in the comics he's tricked. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you not know what happens after? I, no. Oh, I, no. It's called World War Hulk. Okay. Where the Hulk comes back to Earth, and it's he's Hulk. not happy with anybody <laughs> on the planet Earth. So yeah, you're absolutely right. By changing that, it almost guarantees that the World War Hulk theory won't won't happen. Won't, won't be happening. So, are you disappointed that Planet Hulk doesn't happen in the cinematic universe? Yes, I am. Are, are you satisfied with the way they chose to address it, though, with the way they did Thor Ragnarok by kind of incorporating what Planet Hulk is? The planet Sakaar, the tournament, all that kind of stuff. I'm happy with it because I thought that the Incredible Hulk was one of the most underdeveloped characters throughout the entire cinematic universe. We did talk about how I didn't believe that there was enough there for him to be a leading man for a movie. And I think he really slots in well with Thor. Even though David Banner talks about Thor, the Hulk doesn't. No. The Hulk is the only real Avenger who could hang out with Thor comfortably on, that level, on yeah. that level yeah so no, I, I enjoyed what they did but i still like the idea of having one big movie where every single person in the marvel cinematic universe is trying to stop the hulk the mighty thor number 362 from 1985 part of the iconic run of walter simonson the influence of which is all over thor ragnarok this issue specifically delves into scourge who is hella's lackey and Executioner, who loves the weapons of man. The cover of this book even has Scourge holding two assault rifles, the exact same way from the movie, yep. And finally, Angela, Queen of Hell, number one, from 2015. The character of Hela may appear as Odin's firstborn in this movie, but her original origin is actually from this story about Angela, the firstborn daughter of Thor. So the backstory used for Hela in this movie is actually taken from a comic book about Thor's first daughter coming back to claim the throne. Half the fun of watching these movies isn't just what you should be paying attention to, it's the little pieces of fanfare hidden in plain sight. It's time for Steve to strap on his floppy ears and share some easter eggs. 
Thor's friend from work line, you know, one of the more famous lines from the movie, uh, was actually suggested to Chris Hemsworth by a Make-A-Wish kid who was uh, visiting the set one day, and Chris thought it was a brilliant idea. Did they get him a writing credit? Um, doesn't say. Wow, fucking Disney, sucking everyone's soul. <laughs> Jeez. Taka once said in an interview that 80% of what you saw was, was improvised and ad-libbed. <laughs> wow. Yikes. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out. What was the budget on this movie? <laughs> Uh, this marks the first time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that the Incredible Hulk was not voiced by Lou Ferrigno, but actually by Mark Ruffalo himself. Uh, Ferrigno voiced the Hulk in the Incredible Hulk movie, The Avengers, and The Avengers 2. Hmm. They're now done using Lou Ferrigno and they're just going to use Ruffalo's voice for the Hulk. I'm surprised. By, I didn't know that this entire time. Mark Ruffalo must have been like locked in a room somewhere and they were like, you don't come out until you can actually do it. <laughs> if you can't do a Hulk voice, one, we're not going to pay you, and two, it's just going to be Lou Ferrigno. I mean, since it. that original Avengers movie, they've really made the Hulk look like Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. He continues to look more and more Ruffalo. And they even actually do that in a scene when they're he's watching himself on the screen, like the security footage of the, of the Quinjet, and they kind of blend his body into Hulk's face. Mm. And it, it's like, whoa, yeah, they're doing a good job now. <laughs> the song heard in the trailer and Thor's first and last battles is uh, Led Zeppelin's Emigrant Song. Do you know why that song was chosen, Aaron? I believe it was because the director put together a scissor reel to try and convince the MCU to allow him to direct that movie, if I'm not mistaken. Why, they, why he chose Emigrant Song? Because it's... Norse mythology in the song and the lyrics. Yep. The lyrics mention North North mythology. I didn't like it when they first used it to start the movie. And guess if I liked it at the end when they decided <laughs> to replay it. Oh, I thought it fitted perfectly. In the beginning it was fine like it was just like cheesy and it's fine, I guess it mentions Valhalla, so whatever. Did they have to do it again? Has any other movie used the same song twice? Yeah, I'm sure there has been. Mm. I don't think so. Maybe. Maybe maybe. All right, so now we're going to talk about Stanley's cameo. Don't be so down. I want you to come into the Stanley one with some heat. Bring the stinky leaf. Come on. All right. <laughs> All right, now we're going to be talking about Stanley's cameo in Thor Ragnarok. At the very end. No, it's not. It's not at the very end. Yeah. It's like when Thor's going when he's at... Sakaar. Sakaar. And Thor's about to get a haircut to be battle ready. I guess, yeah. The person who cuts his hair is Stanley himself, and he looks like he has no idea what he's about to do. <laughs> and Thor's like, I am Thor! I am I am son of Odin! Don't touch my hair! And then he's like, Just don't, please don't touch my hair. <laughs> we actually saw like Thor actually being scared probably the first time in a long time. Yeah. It was a cool scene. I liked it a lot. It, it, like I feel like the Grandmaster had to cut Thor's hair so he could figure out if he was a girl or a boy, too. <laughs> like, you know. He wasn't quite sure about the feelings he had towards Thor. He's like, I'm going to fuck him. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just want to know what I'm doing. <laughs> what was cool, too, was what they had Stanley Lee dressed as. <laughs> it, was, it was Galactus. I don't know about cool, <laughs> if that's the right word. He looked it was very ill-fitting. <laughs> Ill if you enjoy what you've heard so far, our website is theunderchannel.com. More episodes are available on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
The time has come for the Marvel Cinematic Universe Giant Size Trivia Challenge. Aaron and Steve will face off daily to determine who's really paying attention as they attempt to slog through these films. Scores will tally throughout the month, and whoever has answered the most questions correct at the end will be crowned the winner. And the loser shall face punishment. Three questions. Uh, the first will go to Aaron, the second will go to Steve, the third will be open to whoever answers first. Giving both gentlemen a buzzer. Aaron, your sound is... Steve, your sound is... I do need to hear that sound before the answer on that last question. I have faith in you guys today. That's a mistake. Number one. Well, not both of you. Number one. Hmm. While Loki rules over Asgard disguised as Odin, he leaves his father under a spell in what funeral home? That's for you, Aaron. Uh, yeah, okay. Nope. <laughs> so I was like, yes, thank God. Because <laughs> I don't know it. Are you serious? I don't know. No clue. He's in a funeral home? Put it. Put it. Oh, I'm sorry. Retirement home. Well, then I know what that Shady Acres. Yeah, I'm sorry. I wrote funeral home. But no, it's a retire. You said it. It's Shady Acres. Yeah. That is correct. <laughs> Steve, second question. Activation code programmed by Tony Stark, which allows Thor to power up the Quinjet. I'm blanking on this one, man. Repeat the question. The activation code programmed by Tony Stark, which allows Thor to power up the Quinjet. Sorry. That's incorrect. Point break. That is correct. Oh, Aaron even fucked this up. All right. <laughs> Have your buzzers ready, gentlemen. Aaron even said it too. That's what pisses me off. <laughs> Name of the Grandmaster's ship, which is primarily used for orgies, stolen by Thor, Bruce Banner, and Valkyrie to escape Sakaar. Yeah, ship. Ship's name. I don't. I know exactly what that one is. Cockring. I have no idea. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> incorrect it is the commodore ah commodore 64 and with that we end the show but fear not we shall return tomorrow with ant-man and the wasp